What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Wednesday, December 28th. Merry late Christmas to everybody that hasn't listened to our last episode and is not listening to this one. Hope you guys had a great holiday. It was a, it was a great holiday for us as well. And Matt and I are in person today, which which is a, a great part of today's episode. We will be most likely in person for the next couple of weeks before I go back to college. So that's going to be exciting. And Matt's on the other end. How are you? I'm good. Um, thank you for the long pause there, as you probably couldn't think of anything else to say. Yeah, well, I'm probably going to cut it out. So All right. Well, uh, yes, we're in person today. Hayden's still on break from college. I'm kind of back and forth between here and everywhere because um, I, I st- I'm still living out of a suitcase, just looking forward to April when I won't be. Um, but that gives us the chance to, to do something like this in person, which is really cool. And yeah, first one after the holidays, um, still technically a holiday to come with New Year's up here uh, this weekend. Got the college football semifinal preview, uh, which we're going to be doing today as well. So those games are, are on Saturday and then obviously a full week of football on Sunday as well uh, for, for week 17 there. And then uh, New Year's, well, New Year's Eve is Saturday along with the along with the bowl games and the uh the college football semifinal games and then New Year's Day is Sunday and then I work for a bank and we have off on Monday. So it's a pretty good weekend coming up to, to follow up Christmas there as well. So um, looking forward to everything. Yeah, speaking of bowl games, we haven't even really talked about bowl games at all since they started, I don't think. So we've kind of dropped the ball on that, but we will be coming at you with a little college football playoff semifinal preview, like Matt said today. And we, I guess we can also maybe talk about like some surprising games during that college football segment, but that's going to be second out of the, what is, I think we have four different segments today. So we've got NFL first, we've got two topics for NFL, and then we'll be talking just kind of like freelance college football. Obviously, the college football playoff games will be the focus, but then we might branch off into a couple of bowl games if we have time. And then we've got NBA third, we've got one topic for NBA, and then our fourth and last top segment is going to be the ESPN notification nonsense segment that if you guys have not heard, I recommend staying until the end to hear it because it's it's a, it's a fun one. So with that being said, let's move right into the NFL. So the Patriots almost led another crazy comeback in the second half on Saturday. So we had the the first crazy comeback, which was the Vikings coming at, coming back against the Colts two weeks ago on Saturday. And so almost a week later or just a week later, the Patriots almost did it against the Bengals. The Bengals were up 22 zip at halftime and with four minutes left in the game, they, the Patriots had scored 18 unanswered points and they made it at only a four point game with the ball in their possession. And then this ultimately led to a Ramondre Stevenson fumble and the Bengals recovered it. So that basically saved the Bengals from a near disaster. Ever since Tom Brady left new England, we've seen these types of comebacks have been almost unheard of from the Pats because when Tom Brady was there, obviously he, he led a lot of them, but when he left or ever since he left, we haven't really, I'm a Patriots fan. So I'm saying we here, we haven't really been able to get it done in terms of in the, in the comeback category. We've always like, we've been, we've been able to win some games, but they've mostly been where, where we get out to an early lead and we kind of keep that lead throughout the game or we traded a couple times here and there, but we're, we're kind of always in it, but we haven't really seen a comeback pulled off like this by the Patriots ever since Tom Brady left. And we almost did it on Saturday, but we weren't able to get it done. So it seems like the Pats can be so much better than they can than they have been this season, but they just kind of aren't. So I'm going to pose this question to Matt. 
what's causing this? Like, why why aren't the, the Patriots as good as they seem that they can be with such a good a top five defense in the league and a pretty all right of, offensive line, a really really good running game? What's what's wrong with all this? Well, I, I think you mentioned it earlier, and it's the very simple answer that uh, they don't have Tom Brady anymore. <laughs> in in reality, yes, obviously Tom Brady's been gone for a little while, and and they haven't been as good as they were when they when they had him, and and so. I'm not going to say that that's my only answer to this. I think there's a kind of a bunch of stuff going on here. I don't know, Hayden, you mentioned they're a top five defense. Are they, I don't know. I mean, I'm not super up on, on current stats and stuff, but are they actually a top five defense? I I, I mean, I, I don't know, like stat-wise, but I would say so. I, I think fantasy, yes, because they've just kind of gotten on the right side of a bunch of, a bunch of defensive touchdowns with, with, you know, the punt return from, what's his, the other guy, Jones, I forget his first name now, Um and and then obviously they've had you know, a couple pick sixes in the last few weeks too against the Raiders and the Bengals in, in successive weeks. So yes, I think probably fantasy points wise they might be top five, but I don't know if you know stats wise yards per play all that stuff because they have let up a good amount of points to to some teams this season. Um, either way, yeah, it, it was not a good look for them to obviously lose that game against the Raiders two weeks ago when we saw you know an absolute collapse on their part and then two you know obviously right this this whole thing against the Bengals here but but let me for a second here okay the Patriots were down 17 to 3 to the Bron- to the sorry to the Raiders two weeks ago all right they were down 17 3 it was looking bad it was like you know right they, they were favored in the game it's like how are they this bad that this Raiders team who's not able to beat anybody or at least always loses at the, at the last second is now up 17 to 3 on this team and guess what they did? They came back. And so, you know, what Hayden mentioned as, as kind of the beginning of this topic here where all oh, the Patriots are never able to come back. Well, that's exactly what they did against the Raiders because they were up instead of, you know, they were, well, they were down 17-3 and they turned that into, you know, them leading 24-17. So they scored three straight, straight touchdowns on the Raiders. And then obviously, you know, they ended up losing the game in, in that in that crazy uh, end there. And then you see here on the, well, in the next week, the following week, the Bengals are up 22 nothing, and they come back and, and score 18 straight points. So I would argue that that they are actually making good comebacks. They had, uh, you know, a 21 nothing uh, run of unanswered points against the against the Raiders two weeks ago, and then they had an eighteen nothing run uh, last week against the against the Bengals. And really, this offense and, and really team overall of the Bengals who've been absolutely dominant, which I think is going really underrated, um, you know, in, in the past few few weeks here or whatever. Uh, they've been they've been really good, and and so. They held the Bengals to zero points in the second half, I believe, and they came up, you know, with their own 18 points and really were on the doorstep of winning that game. So I think they've gotten there. They've made the comebacks. They just haven't completed the wins, right? And and, and kind of, I think that's kind of the point that we're getting to here is like these types of mistakes that have cost them these wins are what we really aren't used to seeing from the Patriots, particularly Bill Belichick coached teams, right? So we had obviously the Ramondre Stevenson, well, and... Really, here this all ends up kind of coming down on Ramondre Stevenson. Even you know, as much as he's provided this team with with just his undenying ability to you know be a receiver and a running back at the same time, he has I think probably the most yards from scrimmage on this team. And, and he's they don't have really any receivers, and so he's kind of just the person they go to right for the running game as well as the passing game. He made that kind of weird lateral play that led to the Raiders you know t- kind of taking that back for a score there and costing them the game against the Raiders and then he also fumbled on the doorstep of the goal line against the Bengals and that kind of led to the Bengals winning that game so in successive weeks the Patriots have come back from being down you know almost 20 points and taken or almost taken a lead in both of those games and really should have been set up for the win and it really just came down to a kind of a a weird mistake by Ramondre Stevenson a guy who's been so reliable for them all season long so that's kind of the issue here I don't necessarily think that it's 
there's so there's so much worry that the Patriots can't be coming back from these from these you know big holes and whatever. Because realistically, what happened was at least for Bill Belichick's tenure there, it's just been Tom Brady, and then that's what I mentioned at the beginning is that you know whenever they were in a deep hole, first of all, they really never found themselves in a deep hole to begin with. They were never really down that many points to where it would they would need to come back from you know seventeen to three and twenty two to nothing. They would at least be down you know seven to ten points, and Tom Brady would lead them back. But they had Tom Brady to be able to lead them back they don't now but they still are making comebacks they're just not kind of completing uh you know completing the games and or completing the comebacks and, and winning these games so there's that aspect to it now a lot of people are kind of pointing to mac jones who you know is taking a lot of the blame now i think and people are starting to come out and kind of think like is he really that good because last year if you remember he was the leading candidate for look for rookie of the year and then pretty much jamar chase stole it out of his hands because jamar chase had like 500 yards and four touchdowns in the last two games of the regular season last year and then you kind of have mac jones there where he did a good job he they got to the playoffs right and a team that really nobody thought would be any good with him starting as a rookie quarterback and, and somehow they they made it and he was you know he was a game manager he wouldn't do anything he didn't do anything great but they won enough games. i think they went nine and eight they won enough games to make the playoffs they had a winning record so i think he was thought of as okay well this guy maybe can do it and this year he just really hasn't been able to he's made some good throws sure but he's also kind of made some bad decisions and hasn't really gotten the ball to his receivers and obviously the patriots receiving core has for years now been kind of one of the worst in the league and, and they were kind of refused to spend money there and that is what it is but you know to a certain extent right as Hayden mentioned the Patriots do have a good defense and you know they do have Ramon J. Stevenson so to a certain extent Mac Jones shouldn't have to think of himself as being the person responsible for making these huge plays and, and making these great comebacks and so what ends up happening then as a result is and obviously you have Matt Patricia and Joe Judd's calling the offense and that's kind of its own debacle um, which I won't even really get into here but he's been yelling at them you know because he's mad at the play call and and now with kind of these last two games of which the Patriots have come back and not be able but able to complete the comeback all eyes despite Ramonche Stevenson kind of being the reason for both of those all eyes are going to go to the quarterback and in this case Mac Jones is kind of only making himself look worse in my opinion it kind of just seems like he's he's a little bit whiny and he, and he doesn't really back up what he's whining about on the field he'll you know he'll yell at his teammates and he'll yell at his coordinators and it's kind of like well yeah, okay, you know, you, that's fine, right? Because Tom Brady does that all the time, but but Tom Brady completes those comebacks. Tom Brady will be the guy who will lead you down the field and, and, and actually score those touchdowns and win those games. But, you know, for, for, for what it is right now, I think it's just kind of a mix-up of a bunch of different stuff that this, that's kind of going wrong with the Patriots here. And it's just kind of an unfortunate thing that Ramondre Stevenson has had these two kind of, you know, just mistakes at the end of these games where the Patriots have been down and come back and just not been able to actually win the game. So as a Patriots fan yourself, Hayden, what do you diagnose as the problem here? Yeah, well, the first thing I want to touch on is the whole Mac Jones situation and also the fact that he's kind of come out as this like really dirty player, which is, I don't know, that's really surprising in my eyes because A, he went to Alabama where Nick Saban runs a tight ship. And he usually has all of his players in line and, you know, kind of, he, I feel like he teaches his players the right values. We've got the, the Alabama, all the Alabama players that are projected to go to the draft, you know, Bryce Young and Will Anderson and all those guys, they're all playing in the bowl game, which they don't have to. It's not a college football playoff game. And so they have no real incentive to, I guess, but they're playing in the game. I, I think out of respect for Nick Saban and that program. So I think Mac Jones should have those qualities, but we saw this past week that he he got fined for a hit that he put on a Bengals player after he got picked off and and basically yeah he threw a pick six. I think he was gonna try to go tackle the guy, but he realized that he wasn't fast enough because he's not 
really athletic at all. And then he just ended up like blindside hitting this guy on the Bengals and he ended up getting fined after the game, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, it's 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 plays like that where it's I think Matt was right. It's like, dude, he Mac Jones thinks he's better than he is, I think. And to in order to be a leader and in order in order to be a force and a, and a presence on the sideline, you have to have the ability to right yell at your players or get in your players' face or kind of just at least be loud and and be known on the sideline. But I think he does it and he doesn't back it up. And so his maybe his team isn't really fully behind him on that. Maybe his coaches aren't fully behind him on that. Because if I mean if he was out there making incredible plays like Patrick Mahomes and Justin Hurt, like, you know, crazy athletic plays where he gets himself out of trouble and is able to make something out of nothing nothing every once in a while. Maybe his teammates would respect him or maybe he would get more respect from the fans and maybe like the Patriots fan base in general. But he's not able to do that because he's not Patrick Mahomes and he doesn't have the athletic ability of a guy like Justin Herbert or, or Lamar Jackson or somebody like that. So because he's not able to make those flashy plays and because he's not really able to bail his defense and, and his running game out, I think his defense and his, and his running game are kind of just like sitting in a stationary spot where they're good, but they're not really that they're not really good enough to make a complete football team and be able to, you know, really pull out these wins. Right. Like Matt said, they, they made a great comeback against the Raiders. I totally forgot about that when I was talking about, them, you know, not really being able to come back from from deficits, but they lost both of those games in the end. So what what comes up on the, in the box score? Yeah, that's a comeback, but they still lost the game. So they have two L's in in a row because of you know as a result of both of those games that they were able to make somewhat of a comeback in, but then right they ultimately they 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 lost. And Matt also did mention my other point, which was the whole Matt Patricia situation. So Matt, like Matt said, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were appointed with the offensive play calling duties right before the season started. And now everybody wants Matt Patricia essentially out of the organization or somewhere else, because technically the Patriots don't even have an offensive coordinator. They haven't had an offensive coordinator for, I don't even know how long, I think since at least 2018. And Matt, if, if you don't know, Matt Patricia used to be the defensive coordinator for the Patriots from like 2012 to 2018, I think it was. And then he got hired as the head coach in Detroit for the Lions. And so he coached for two or three years there until I think 2020. And then he came back to New England. And I think last year and he started coaching for, for New England. But he's he's not even like his job title isn't an offensive coordinator. He's He's the senior football advisor and offensive line coach, but he's calling the plays, which doesn't really make much sense. He's obviously a, a much better defensive coach because he was able to hold the defensive coordinator position on the Patriots team from 2012 to 2018 when they had so much success during that stretch. So it's like I, I don't really know what they're thinking, letting him calling the play, letting him call the plays. Obviously, he's more of like a run first guy because that's what the Patriots have been doing well all season. But again, with a with a guy like Matt Patricia calling plays and a guy like Matt J- Mac Jones at quarterback, I think that's just kind of like that. That's just kind of indigestion on on this Patriots team, and you don't. That's something that won't really click. You're gonna have to put Mac Jones in more of an in, in more of a scheme where he's like, you know, more more of a more of an offensive scheme. I guess is is the broader term for it, like a Sean McVay offense or a Kyle Shan or a, yeah Kyle Shanahan offense. We say it all the time. Like we mention those names all the time, just because they're such great offensive minds. But it, but again, like there's 
still many quarterbacks in this league that need an offensive scheme like that, like a Baker Mayfield, who is succeeding in L.A. right now because of what Sean McVay has given him. But there are a lot of quarterbacks like Mac Jones and Baker Mayfield who need that kind of guidance and offense just to kind of get their career started. I think that Mac Jones's start to his career has been a little bit blank on 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 in terms of like who's coaching him and so he's kind of he doesn't really have much guidance on where where he's going yeah I mean it seems like we have pretty similar views on kind of what's going on here and it'll be interesting to see where they go from here right because Mac Jones is in his second year he still has two more years on the rookie on the rookie contract but keep in mind like he's a first round guy too so they're paying him a good bit of money and it's kind of you know are they going to pick up the fifth year are they going to trade him somewhere else? Um, I guess Bill Belichick will, will kind of find a way because it seems like he always is able to. Uh, another team that seems like they're always able to uh, do something because of their quarterback is the Packers. And so ironically here, we're talking about me and Hayden's favorite teams, Hayden with the Patriots and me with the Packers, and probably for good reason, right? I mean, the Patriots have been kind of on the wrong side of two devastating comebacks, and, and then obviously the Packers are kind of trending in the right direction, which is uh, explains the title of the episode a little bit more too. So the Packers are probably going to somehow make the most improbable run for the playoffs that we've seen in recent years and it hasn't been pretty at all uh, for anyone else who's not Packers fans because it's been very beautiful uh, in my mind and so uh, their game against the Dolphins this past Sunday pretty much summed up their ability to win this season it was really a close game and basically relied on Tua making mistakes but what do we make of this Dolphins game in particular should we even be talking about the Packers possibly making the playoffs or should we be focused on what this game what this game says about Tua yeah, so I made this topic before the whole situation with Tua and his concussion, his, I think, third concussion of the season it is this year. I made this topic before that happened, and or before all that discussion started, and so I don't really want to talk about Tua being bad in the second half of this game, because that's what I was going to do at first, but then it, the whole thing about him getting rocked in the second half and then throwing three interceptions in the fourth quarter that ultimately sealed the game off for, for the Packers winning that came out right after I wrote this topic. So I didn't change up the topic because, and I did, I did change up a couple of topics before, right before we started recording, but I didn't change up this topic because I still want to talk about Tua's play this season, which I think has been very enhanced by Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I, I know that a lot of people are still saying like, okay, you can have the receivers, but if you don't have a guy that can get, that can get it to them and that has the the timing to get the ball to these receivers that are just lightning fast and can, you know, basically bolt anywhere in a second, then you're still not going to succeed. But I don't think, I don't really think that's true. I think that these receivers in this case, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill are absolutely carrying Tua. It really sucks to see this situation happen to Tua. And again, I don't really want to, I don't really want to bash him on this episode at all because of what has come what what has come out recently and how he essentially may not even play football football again, which, right, that's that's a whole other topic that we can save for a later date when we know more about his situation. But I do think that this game in particular just showed that, and, and like the Packers are good. I'm not, I'm not saying that the Packers are, are really bad. I think that they just had some early season slumps and some early season struggles, which they, they, they seem to always have. I think it just lasted a little longer this year than it, than it has in recent years. And we always know, I mean, we, we know that Aaron Rodgers always says in press conferences after the first couple of games, when they drop a couple to teams that they shouldn't have dropped any games to, we know that Aaron Rodgers always tells everybody to relax and that they'll be okay and that they're going to make the playoffs and they're everything's going to be fine and that they're going to lose in the NFC Championship, but it's going to be fine, right? I think that that may be happening again this season. Like, 
yeah, they probably are going to make the they going to make the playoffs now. They at least have a much better chance of making the playoffs now that they beat the Dolphins this past weekend. I don't know exactly what their percentage chance is, but I, I don't really like all those percentages. Like all the percentages that come out now, like around this time of year, December, you know, Christmas time, where they do like all the percentage. Um, and, and it looks like the like the ele- election results on the TV after um after the four thirty games on Sunday. I don't really like how they do all that because it's just like, yeah, it's a percentage, but anything can happen, right? It's I mean I I'd like to see okay these teams are in the hunt and these teams are are in right. I don't want to see like and then you can look at the schedule yourself. You don't have to make a percentage out of it. I guess more, a lot of people do like numbers to be attributed to certain things but and like and like a, a number is easy to look at but I don't know I think the percentages kind of mislead people a lot but right I, I do think that the that this game was super indicative of the Packers like kind of just being all right but then the, the Dolphins showing the weaknesses and I do think that right since Tua was kind of apparently you know pretty pretty mentally impaired or or kind of I don't know he was like physically impaired I guess is what I'm trying to say um and his, his his mind was cloudy and everything like that in the second half obviously that did contribute to the turnovers that sealed the game off but still I don't I don't know if the Dolph- the Dolphins would have been able to score the Packers defense was locking down towards the end of the game e- even aside from those interceptions so I think that in general I I think that like once the Dolphins go up against good defenses right they beat the Bills earlier this year but the Bills earlier this year, their whole entire defense was hurt. So it's like, I don't really know if they can do that again. I I can't remember. Well, the Bills beat the Dolphins like a couple weeks ago, right? Or yeah, last well, week. The, so the Dolphins beat the Bills earlier yeah, in the season, like week three. And then the Bills beat the Dolphins on that last second field goal in the snow yeah. uh, in Buffalo where they were the players were mopping up the snow from like wiping off the snow from the from the field. So, yeah, but it was a last second win and the Dolphins looked really yeah. good in that game. They were down by, I think they were down 21-13 and halftime. They came back and they had an eight-point lead. Josh Allen makes some magic happen and wins that game. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think since that game is in the snow, I think that's also kind of uh, – wish wash game where it's like okay you know it could have gotten anybody's way I'm still like the Dolphins are still a pretty good team they have a pretty good pretty good defense Christian Wilkins has been probably the best defensive tackle like overall against the run and against the pass this whole entire season across the whole league so just kudos to him and kudos to that defense but I do I I do think that like this offense is still really good with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill but Tua I don't I, I just think that Tua should be left out of the whole like great quarterback conversation because I don't think that I still don't think that he's that good of a quarterback. He's he's getting hurt a lot, which is I'm sorry to say, but it's it's kind of indicative of you can't really protect yourself. And if you can't protect yourself with the quarterback position, you're not going to be able to play for a long time. And there have been plays where he's gotten hurt where I feel like he could have he could have braced for his fall and he kind of just doesn't. And he kind of just falls down and like smacks his head against the ground. I'm not blaming him for that. I'm just saying like I don't think that two is as good as people are making him out to be. And I think that people are are starting to realize this. This kind of feeds into my Justin Herbert conversation, which I talked about last episode, my solo episode. But yeah, essentially, I just wanted to make this topic just to talk about like does this say more about the Packers or the Dolphins? I think it says more about the Dolphins, in my opinion. I do like the the, the Packers are trending upward, but I do think it says more about the Dolphins in general. Tua not really being there, but they're just really, really good because of everything else they have on that team. 
Yeah, and and I didn't really get eyes on this game. I didn't watch it uh, that much because, unfortunately, my uh, my wife's family's Christmas lunch uh, occurred. Well, started right at one, which is when the game started as well. So um, I I was uh, I was kind of humble in, in my in my Packers fandom and checking the score every couple minutes. Uh, where well, every time I got up to quote unquote go to the bathroom, so that I didn't look like I had my phone out at, at uh, the the very very formal lunch that I was at. So and and really. The game went kind of how I thought. They were tied 10-10, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. And then they were down 20-10, to 10, and I'm like, well, that seems like that would probably be okay for that to happen. Or not okay, but that I would see that happening. Uh, then it's tied up 20-20, and I'm like, all right, cool. And then they win 26-20. I'm like, what happened? And you'll see, obviously, the Dolphins didn't score a single point in the second half. And and a lot of that, as Hayden said, is because, really, Tua, Tua got a concussion in like the second quarter of the game. And since then... After that, they weren't able to do anything. We now know that he's ruled out against the Patriots. I still bet on the Dolphins plus three because the Patriots, as we discussed before, probably aren't uh, – they don't really know what they're doing right now. So, um, anyway, I think the Packers, though, like they played the game as they were supposed to play it. They you know, they came back and they won the game. The defense did what they were supposed to do. Aaron Rodgers did what he was supposed to do. A.J. Dillon's looking like a beast now. And, and so I think it's kind of all coming together, and this was a great game that I think kind of just – is propelling them forward. It says, okay, well, we can win a game like this. Now, obviously, right, we know now Tua wasn't 100%. He probably wasn't even 75% because, I mean, he was legitimately playing with a concussion. So who who knows, like, realistically how this would have gone if Tua had stayed in the game and he was 100% the whole time. If they have a 10-point lead, you know, maybe he doesn't let the Packers come back and, and, and win that game. But, you know, with 16 on NCR points and, and obviously, you know, kind of running the, the – the, the, really, the really interesting part about this game – that I think kind of says a lot about either what the coaches knew when they were playing the game or I don't know, you know, whatever happened, but was when the Packers were up 23 to 20, there was like five minutes left in the game. It's third and five and they're in field goal range and they run the ball with really no intent. It would look like no intention to get a first down, either run out the clock and score a touchdown or either score a touchdown and or run out the clock and win the game there. They didn't really care. It looked like they were just like, all right, cool, we'll kick a field goal. And it's like, well, the Dolphins, if they just score a touchdown, that they could pretty easily win this game. And so it's almost like the, it's almost like Matt LaFleur or Mike, yeah, Matt LaFleur knew that his defense would not would be able to stop Tua. And and I think that's kind of what Hayden was going to be getting at in the sense that that's a really bold call by the Packers to say, we know our defense is going to be able to stop Tua on this last drive because we've been able to stop him the rest of the game. And as Hayden pointed out, you know, that's because he didn't look very good. But that's also because now we can explain why he didn't look very good, um, obviously with him being being injured as he was. And so that kind of takes away from the analysis of the game overall. But I do think that, you know, right, for what the Dolphins have been this season – it's good. You you can see you see what a good offensive line and great receivers can do for a quarterback's career because coming into this season, Tua looked like it was kind of this year or bust, right? This was a kind of a make-or-break season, and he's really performed very well. Now, the thing is, though, the injuries, and, and this has been a this has been to his, his problem even going back to college because you might remember, like, he played – so he won the championship when he was a junior, right? Then he played his senior season with Bama, and he got hurt, like, halfway through, and he had a hip injury, right? He comes back, uh, like, you know, four or five weeks later to try to play near the end of the season in the, bowl, in the you know, the bowl games and the, the – I don't know if they made the playoff in his last year or whatever, but – 
you know, he gets injured again in his hip and he goes out and it's like, is he really going to, you know, be worth kind of a, a top pick now if he keeps getting injured like this and he gets picked number five overall, the Dolphins, and he had two two years where it was kind of like, eh, I don't really know about this. Uh, well, he, he started, I guess, halfway through two years ago and then he started all of last season and all of this season. Um, but, I mean, he's been concussed twice now and it's one of those things that, you know, obviously the league has a lot more recognition for this type of stuff now, whereas before we might have, you know, not even realized that he would have been concussed and he, we would have just been saying, like, he sucks because he can't play when realistically he can't even – read Jalen Waddle's number from, you know, 10 yards away. So there's a difference in how we're going to gauge this based on the fact that he does have two concussions now and, and we're being more conscientious of it. Therefore kind of not blaming him hundred percent on the performances that he hasn't really looked that great in. But as he'd mentioned, right? Like that bills game was really good. And, and, and this game too. So you kind of have to, I don't know, you can kind of tell both sides of it, I think, but it, for the Packers sake, at least, I think they're going to make the playoffs, right? I mean, it, it's, it's like, it's one of those things where, they have two games left. Well, everybody has two games left. Uh, they're playing at home against the Vikings this weekend in a huge, huge game. But one that doesn't really have – well, it has a lot of playoff implications for the Packers, but not much for the Vikings. Now, here's where things get interesting, right, is the Packers really need to win this game in order to get in the playoffs. And the Vikings, having basically been the you know little brother to the Packers for the last, like, 10 years in that division – they probably don't want the Packers to make the playoffs because there's a probably good, pretty good chance that, that the Vikings get up, get matched up against the Packers in the playoffs, later in the playoffs. Um, and that's just not a team that you want to play twice and, and obviously, well, three times, including the two division games during the regular season. So the, the Vikings are going to try to win this game. But what's interesting is the Packers are favored by three. And we all know that Vegas always knows what they're doing. The sports books know what they're doing when they set these lines, meaning the Packers are probably going to win the game. I actually bet the Packers to win the game, not because I'm a super fan of the Packers, I don't, I don't, I don't financially hedge like that, uh, or I don't financially invest in my emotional hedges. Um, I think the Packers are really going to win this game, and I think they're going to kind of crush the Vikings. I think the Vikings, obviously, they're the luckiest team by far, and whatever, and they've gotten a you know a bunch of a bunch of crap by that for that in the media and everything. But I think this is the game where it really kind of falls falls apart for them. So the Packers win that game, then they play the Lions in the last game of the season, and the Lions won't be playing for anything because they'll we they you know, won't have a chance to make the playoffs and then the Packers win that game. They make the playoffs if, the, if basically if the commanders lose in that case and the commanders play the Browns this weekend and they play, I think the Cowboys in their last game, but Carson Wentz is starting and who the heck knows what's going to happen for the commanders going forward here. So a lot of stuff going on there. I think the Packers are make the playoffs and, and I'm kind of happy about that. So I know I went a little bit long on this part, but it, it does kind of show you like, obviously we have kind of a, almost a, a, a well, I said on the topic, I'm like, almost uh, like Patriots are going down and the Packers are going up. But we already obviously summarized all that. So nothing more to be said here. All right. Well, with that being said, let's move on to college football. So like we said in this segment, we're just going to really be previewing the two college football semi playoff semifinal. Dude, I'm going to mess up so much with the college football playoff semifinal. I'm words. surprised I haven't. I'm, I, I'm like, I kind of hit it every time. and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of doing this. But I feel like last year when we were doing this on the podcast, I messed it up every time. Yeah, because I'm, I'm not I'm still not really used to saying college football playoff. And even when I do, I try to say it really fast because it gets annoying just like kind of dragging it on. But anyway. The two college football playoff semifinal games, uh, we're going to preview them a little bit It is if in case you just haven't really looked at it in a long time, which is a possibility. I honestly, like every time I think about these games, I kind of have to refresh my memory a little bit. I'm like, okay, wait, Ohio State is number four. They're not number three. They're not right. They're not in the two to three match. I always think that Ohio State is in TCU's position, then TCU is at, is at the four spot, but 
Yes, Georgia and Ohio State will be playing each other, the one versus four, and then, and then the two versus three seed is going to be TCU and Georgia. I mean, uh, TCU and Michigan. <laughs> I messed that up. Michigan's number two, though, and uh, TCU number three. Now, an interesting thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of give a little bit of a a little bit of like a betting preview here, I guess. And the interesting thing about both of these games is, is that they are expected to be decided by at least a touchdown. So I think the Georgia Ohio State game is Georgia minus six and a half right now, and the Michigan TCU game Michigan is minus seven and a half. So technically a six and a half point point spread is 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 a touchdown. Um, because right, they have to win by seven points in order to cover that. So they're expected to be decided by at least a touchdown, and that, I feel like that's kind of interesting because right, these are the four best teams in the country. You would expect that at least one of these games is going to be kind of like a minus four, maybe minus three type spread, or maybe like a minus one type spread. But that's just not really how college football works these days. And we've we've talked about that in the past, and just saying that there's so few really really good teams in you know in in college football and so it's kind of tough to it's tough to predict upsets and it's tough to kind of predict where the good teams will fall off and will slip up so I think this is a this is kind of a boring college football semifinal um playoff or college football playoff semifinal lineup I guess is what I'm trying to say I think that we kind of we we both know who's going to win both games but I kind of want to get Matt's opinion on at least at least one of these games and kind of like maybe you know go into into the analysis of what both of these teams have um or you know whatever but i just want to hear matt's analysis on at least one of these games and kind of give a reason to as to maybe why the betting lines are set at where they at where they're at or why the spreads are where they're at or whatever well i i i think they're right i think they're correct and i think Mich- or i think yeah i think michigan and georgia are going to both win their games um, it may be close. It may be a field goal game, but I, I think it would be more closer to a touchdown, which is exactly kind of what the, uh, the 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 spreads and the betting lines have told us here. And the main reason is because it's, it's it seems like it would be very complicated to break it down the the X's and O's and how well the quarterbacks face against pass rushing defense and cover three. It it really guys it comes down to the fact that the SEC and the Big Ten are the two best conferences in college football. They're only going to continue to get better because they're only adding more teams to them. They're only getting bigger TV deals. There's only going to be more money going to these schools, and eventually they're going to pay, pay, pay the players. In which case, more players are going to come there, and it's just going to go. It's it's, it's a snowball effect right but here's the thing is because they're the two best teams or the two best conferences in the country sec in the big 10 their representatives their champions are going to be the two best teams in the country whereas you have another team from the from the well you have ohio state who's also in the big 10 which kind of even says the most about the fact that arguably the best well actually you could make the case that the big 10 was the best team in the country or the best um conference in the country this year but because they got two teams in the playoff and obviously ohio state they didn't even play in the Big Ten Championship, but they only have that one loss, and that one loss is to arguably the, well, second, but you could argue the first best team in college football, which is Michigan. So two teams in there means they're also, you know, they're pretty good, and they're not playing each other, right? So that's kind of the other thing that we have to consider here is the SEC is the best conference in the country. Georgia's the best team in the best conference. They didn't lose all year. None of their games were really even close. Some of the games that were close were like Kent State and Missouri. 
two teams that were not supposed to even come close to winning those games. And Georgia was kind of like, all right, we actually have to try here at the end of the game. All right, cool. And they just put up like 14 straight points. They didn't score. They didn't let the other team score in the last like second half entirely. Um, And they won those games pretty easily. And then the games, the big games they did have, the Tennessee game, the Kentucky game, the, you know, they they played – I'm forgetting who else. Well, in the uh, SEC championship, LSU obviously they beat them by like 30. So the big games they did have, they showed up and they played their butts off, and they crushed uh, everyone that did play. And so they're the best team in the best conference. They're going to be favored against really anybody that they play. And the funny thing is, I think the the team that has the best chance of upsetting them is Ohio State. Ironically, just because of Ohio State's ability to play offense. Okay, because we see it all the time. Georgia's defense is always amazing, right? But the one thing that can beat, well, if if someone is to beat Georgia, you're going to have to get past that defense. And what better way to do it than with the best offense in the entire country, and that is Ohio State. In a dome, okay? We have to specify that because remember last year in the Michigan-Ohio State game, Michigan beat Ohio State, but not as handily as they did this year. They beat Ohio State because the game was like 34 degrees and snowing the entire time. And offense, the Ohio State offense is built predicated on passing the ball, getting it to your receivers, you know, then, you know, kind of building the run game off of that. And so the Ohio State offense can challenge the Georgia defense better than anybody else in the country. The problem is the Georgia offense is almost just as good and the Ohio State defense is kind of lacking. And we saw that obviously against the the Michigan game. Michigan put up like 40, what, 42, 43 points in them uh, in that game. So, and we didn't expect that at all, right? So that's kind of the issue here is that Georgia's defense is really good. And maybe Ohio State will be able to put up some points on on Georgia's defense, but Georgia's offense is better than they were last year. I think their defense is a little bit worse, right? But that almost makes for a better team because now you have more faith in the offense to score points. You have a little bit less faith in the defense, but still good enough because there's a ton of NFL players on that team again. They're probably going to be able to handle Ohio State. On the other side, obviously, Michigan, they're undefeated. They won all their games. They beat Ohio State by, like, 20 points. They they beat Purdue in the uh, Big Ten Championship by, like, 20, I think, as well, maybe 30, closer to 30. Um, they've been dominant as well, right? And their defense is really good. Their offense is, is – it's interesting, but it's good enough to score the points on the teams that they needed to beat, right? And so that's kind of the, the big story here with Michigan. And, and TCU, this little team from the Big 12 who previously was in the Mountain West not too long ago um, – they're undefeated. They won all their game. Well, they won all their games except the conference championship against Kansas State, but they didn't even need to win that game to get into the playoffs, so that doesn't really matter. We're going to kind of wash that off. The problem is here, and this is the reason that Michigan is favored so heavily against TCU, is the fact that TCU is is not fragile isn't the word, but they're 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 very they're pred- their offense is predicated or their whole team really is just kind of it's speedy, it's fun, it's energetic, it's it's you get big plays and it's kind of one of those things that if you catch a defense off guard, you're going to be scoring big plays, right? And then the, and then the opposing office is going to try to catch up by throwing the ball or running the ball, you know, getting really big plays, and TCU's defense is built to stop that. What TCU's not really built to beat is a hard-nosed team that has big players that are tough and physical and are going to grind out the game against you, and that's exactly what Michigan is. Michigan's actually the best at that uh, in the country, obviously, outside of Georgia. So that's why Michigan is, and we saw this, right, and that's the example here, is that Kansas State is the one team that was able to actually come close to beating TCU. Kansas State was up 28-10 to in their regular season game, this was back in October, against TCU. And they had both their quarterbacks get hurt in that game. So they're down to their third-string quarterback, and TCU comes back and scores 28 straight points and wins that game 38-28. to But TCU was on the ropes, man, and they were going to lose that game if 
both of Kansas State's quarterbacks didn't get hurt. And then we saw in the championship game, Kansas State wins the, in the Big 12 championship game, Kansas State wins that game over TCU, right? So we have kind of evidence here to suggest that, and Kansas State is, sorry, I keep missing the point here. Kansas State is the version, is the Michigan version of the Big 12 of a tough team with really big guys who are going to play you physical, they're going to run the ball, and they're going to really try to keep the game close and, and, and beat you physically, right? And so TCU wasn't really built to stop that or isn't really built to win against teams that are built like that. We saw that against Kansas State, and Michigan, like I said, is just a way better version of Kansas State, and that's why Michigan is favored in this game. So there's your kind of breakdown of why each of the teams are favored. I think that it's going to be Georgia and Michigan kind of rolling in these games. I'd love to see an upset. I'd love it, especially in Michigan-Ohio State National Championship. Could you imagine that? Um, but realistically, I, th- I think the favorite's going to win these games. But for good reason. I mean, they're both the – there are the only undefe- only two undefeated teams left in the entire country, and they deserve to be – you know, they both deserve to have a shot at the national championship. Yeah, I think that's completely right. And I think what we're going to see from this Georgia-Ohio State game in particular is a battle of Georgia's offense against uh, against Ohio State's defense. We know, like Matt said, Georgia has the best defense in the country. Ohio State has the best offense in the country. Even without Jackson Smith and Jigba – they still have the best offense in the country, which is insane. So we should be looking at this Ohio State team and saying, if they had Smith and Jigba, this would be and like I think this would be a totally different game. Again, he's a game changer. He's the, he's a definition of a game changer. Do I think that Ohio State would be favored to win? No, but do I think that the spread would be lower? I think so. One thing that I've seen about and I've I've kind of been reading up on this Georgia Ohio State game recently and the one thing that I've seen about this game and like Matt said and I've I've I even said it when the first playoff I mean the, the playoff rankings first came out that if there's anybody that can beat Georgia in this playoff it's Ohio State so we're gonna get a really good game this this semifinal round and it's because of Ohio State's athletes Georgia has some of the best athletes in the country their defense is like probably the most athletic defense that you'll ever see in your life in your life a lot of people have said that Georgia in terms of talent like talent wise in terms of the the amount of talent that they have on that defense and the ages that those guys are at you know 19 18 19 20 year old guys the amount of talent that they have on that defense is top five or would be top five in the NFL I'm not saying that that their defense would rank top five in the NFL if they were to go play in the NFL right now but a lot of people have said that the amount of talent that they have on that defense with the ages that these guys are at is what would be top five um, amount of talent in the NFL when you compare it to the age of the guys in the NFL and everything like that. So that's just crazy in itself. But again, Ohio State has an incredible offense with T.J. Stroud leading that offense at quarterback. And I mean, they're they're a really like explosive offense as well. I think Travion Henderson, uh, one of their starting running backs, is not going to play. I think I've heard that you know down the grapevine, which is kind of a hit to their offense. But they've I think they have. A pretty good uh, kind of like secondary running back. And, I mean, their passing game is is what's important here. So, I think that we're going to see uh, – we're going to see the, the Georgia defense shut down the Ohio State offense a couple times. But we're also going to see the Ohio State offense be able to kind of, you know, get a, a big player or two every now and then against the Georgia defense. So, I think what it's going to come down to is the, the Ohio State defense against the Georgia offense. And if the Ohio State defense is able to get pressure on Stetson Bennett – I think that the Ohio State actually does have a pretty good chance of winning this game. Again, pretty much everybody's picking Georgia. I still think Georgia's going to win it all. I still think that they're going to beat Ohio State and that they're going to beat whoever comes out of the TCU-Michigan game in an even easier game than the Ohio State game will be for them. But I do think that if Stetson Bennett has some pressure, 
things might go haywire a little bit. Stetson Bennett hasn't been sacked in six games. Can you like that's that's just an insane stat. So the fact that he hasn't even been sacked in six games goes to. I mean, he's an athletic guy, but every athletic quarterback gets sacked. I mean, we see. I think Justin Fields is like one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the, in the NFL this year. He's one. Of, he's one of the most, if not the most, athletic quarterback in in the NFL right now. So. You can't really say anything about that. Georgia does have a really good offensive line as well, but I think that this Ohio State defensive line, who's also really good, if they can get to Stetson Bennett and if they can blitz Stetson Bennett a good bit and be able to you know, hold up those um, those receivers and man coverage, I think Ohio State will maybe be able to pull this one out. But again, that's kind of the only way that I see them being able to do this. And if Georgia, obviously Georgia's going to be prepared for that. They're going to be prepared for some pressure. I think that Ohio State's going to going to really try to pressure Stetson Bennett. So they're going to be prepared for that, and they're probably going to you know have some extra blockers or some like blocking tight ends or whatever in the game for um, for most of their plays. So right, I think Georgia's still going to win this game. And then the the TCU Michigan game, like Matt said, I kind of agree with most of the things that he said. TCU is just really a, a big play team. They're they're a Big Twelve team. I mean the they they are a finesse team. He just said it in the background. Yeah, so that's what he was. That's the word that he was trying to that he was trying to think of um, the whole time that he was talking. But we know that our brains get a little fuzzy during the podcast. So right, they're a finesse team. They're a Big Twelve team. Pretty much all Big Twelve teams have that style of play where they you know they can they can't play defense compared to the other teams in the Big Ten and the the SEC and even like the ACC and stuff like that. They can't really play defense compared to those teams, so they predicate their team and their success on offense. And they have a you know they have a couple really cool plays where they you know go crazy, and then that's kind of how they score their points. And they kind of hang in games. TCU has been in so many so many close games this season, which I think is going to help them in a game like this if they're able to keep it close with Michigan towards you know down the stretch towards the end of the game. If they're able to kind of stay within a touchdown or 10 points or something like that, then yeah, they, they might be able to kind of score like a last second touchdown and, and tie it up or, you know, win by one point, you know, I, or I guess, yeah, if they're down by like seven, they score a touchdown and then have the gutsiest play call in college football playoff history and go for two and win it on that. They may be able, may be able to do that. You never know. But what I do think is going to happen is Michigan's just way too consistent for TCU and they're going to be able to pull it out. I'm not. I don't really like Michigan. You guys know that. Well, you guys, if if you guys have listened in the past, you guys know that Matt and I are not really big Michigan fans. But I think that Michigan's too powerful to um, for for TCU to overcome that. And yeah, I think that they're just way too consistent. JJ McCarthy's been super super consistent late, uh, lately. I think if you if we saw more mess ups from him, especially in the Ohio State game and and kind of like the big games down the stretch, I think that. Maybe we would be talking about this game in a little bit of a different in a little bit of a different light, but he's been really good recently, so you can't really knock him for that. Their running game is really good, and like Matt said, their their defense is really good as well. So there's not really many holes on this Michigan team. There's not enough holes on this Michigan team for TCU to kind of rely on their on their good old style of play and win this game. I'm gonna make a couple comments on the bowl games uh, so far. Not super long or anything, but um, if you're watching them, keep watching them because they're amazing. They're probably my favorite outside of March Madness. It's probably my favorite time of the year, just watching bowl games because it's like prime time college football games that like where there's two teams that you have absolutely no clue who they are and 
you're probably never going to watch them otherwise, and they're just playing in a bowl game in, like, the middle of Alabama. So um, it's great. I love the bowl games. And, and it's so funny because you'll hear the media talk so much about how we don't need these many bowl games. Like, you know, there's a five-win team. Rice actually was five and seven, and they made a bowl game, which is usually reserved for six-win teams, all this stuff. Every, you know, the amount of bowl games increases every year, and the media is going to be like, there's so many – bowl games and too many or i guess college football fans who don't really appreciate the college footballness of it um are gonna say you know there's too many bowl games we don't we don't need this many we need to get rid of all the bowl games but the the, the best part about it is that no matter what they say because and that's what i've been scared of i'm like dude this is actually gonna cause there to be less bowl games um like you know overall like they're gonna take away the bowl games are gonna make it you know hard to qualify whatever but apparently the one thing stopping all this is that people actually watch these things so much. Like, it's on the regular ESPN network, and apparently their ratings on these bowl games are insane. Like, better than, like, well, sort of, like, equal to primetime NBA is how I heard it described. So, I love that. I love the fact that, like, everyone is like, we don't need any more bowl games. We need – there's just too many. The people don't care about the teams that are playing. Clearly, people do. People are watching these games, and it's awesome. And it's, like, mostly because – you just kind of watch and want to watch some live football, and sometimes, like, around this time of year, it's just, you know, you kick back on your couch, it's Christmas break or whatever, and you're like, hey, what's going on between uh, San Diego State and Middle Tennessee, you know, and, and New Mexico State and Bowling Green, two teams that shouldn't have even made a bowl game, and they did. And then the thing to do is, like, the commentators, they always have random people doing it, but they're actually good. Like, I like hearing the commentators on this stuff because the problem is, well, not the problem, but for the most part – there's so much boringness about these games that and like that nobody should even care. But so what they do is to kind of fill the or I guess there's not much meaning for the games, right? So there's not like if they win a, if the team wins a bowl game, so what, right? Whereas the semifinals and kind of all during the regular season, it's like okay, well where am I going to stack up in my conference and try to win the conference and go to the playoff and all this stuff? These bowl games mean nothing, and so there's no result of it, or, or like the result of the game doesn't really affect where these teams are in the grand scheme of things. So the, the the commentators and the whole team that gets sent to these bowl games, they like go so in depth about all these teams and like the individual players. There was like, I was watching the um, Georgia Southern versus Buffalo game yesterday, and they were doing a, a thing about the Buffalo. It was a Buffalo linebacker who's like twenty nine years old, but he was a Navy SEAL. Like what? Like this is the type of thing that like you would never know if you didn't watch a bowl game. And it's so funny because then you see like towards the end of the game what actually end up ends up happening. And like Buffalo won in like a kind of a dramatic fashion. They were winning the whole game, but Georgia Southern was favored, and Georgia Southern came back, and, and Buffalo ends up winning the game. And it's like he, you know, they're trying to get an interview with this guy who was a Navy SEAL, but he doesn't want to be interviewed because he's such a humble guy. And it's like you never know this stuff if you didn't just watch a bowl game. Um, so I'm glad that ESPN has completely embraced this stuff because the ratings are good. They're only going to show stuff that gets good ratings. So if the bowl, if the ratings decline they're gonna they're gonna basically cancel like half the bowl games but i love it so people if you're out there and watching the bowl games keep watching them and if you're not watching the bowl games turn them on because there's usually something you won't know that it's just really fun to watch and who knows what'll happen yeah that's that's my favorite when the commentators go on a little spiel about one particular player or if or it's like the quarterback who I don't know, had, like, some crazy thing happen in the middle of his college career, but, like, <laughs> he comes back for this season, and they go 6-6. Six and six. They're in a bowl game, some, like, random bowl game, and the commentators are like, yeah, this is his Super Bowl. This is the last down of football he'll ever play. Like, the W.P. Sherman painting bowl game is his Super Bowl, and, like, this is basically going to be the his biggest life accomplishment if he, like, converts this fourth down. It's, it's crazy. Like, they... they Kind of blow everything out of proportion, but it makes things fun. Like it's kind of like a little, little, little backstory to the game, which is yeah, I I I love that part of bowl games, like Matt said. So uh, 
all yes, all fun and all fun and dandy in uh, college bowl season. I haven't really been able to watch as many as I would have liked. Um, I'm not quite like Matt who checks his phone every five seconds for the scores and watches Hulu on his phone during work. Um, I, you know, I'm not I'm not that bad of a kid, but yeah, I I, I watch them when they're on TV and when I have the time. So. With that being said, um, enough of college football talk. Let's move on to the NBA. So the Nets are on a nine-game winning streak currently, and when I wrote this segment before, the Nets and the Sixers were both on eight-game winning streaks, but the Sixers lost to the Wizards last night. So the Nets are on a nine-game winning streak right now, and the Sixers are currently on a one-game losing streak. But but the Sixers were on an eight-game winning streak before falling to, to the Wizards last night, and... Basically, both teams have climbed all the way up to third and fifth in the Eastern standings, respectively. The Nets are third, and the Sixers are fifth. So, these are kind of two teams that were kind of struggling a little bit, uh, you know, in, in the playoffs last year, and both have had a rather slow start to the season this year. But now they seem to be kind of thriving, and obviously they've climbed all the way up from, I think, being both being below the eight seed, like, a few weeks ago to being basically, you know, like mid mid tier in that in that little playoff area that we call the one through eight seeds in the in the in the NBA conferences. So what do we make of this? I'm gonna ask this question to Matt um first and he can kind of give his thoughts here. I also have some things to say on this topic, um, but I'm gonna kind of hand hand it over to Matt to see what he thinks at first. Is this legit? Are we seeing a legit, you know, kind of comeback from from the struggles uh, early on in the season from the Nets and the Sixers? And are we going to kind of see this continue for the rest of the season? We're getting towards kind of being like a third of the way through the season. So, uh, or no, we're, yeah, it's it's like a little bit more than a third. It's probably like, it's probably closer to halfway, I guess, at this point um, through the season. But, right, we're kind of like nearing towards the halfway point of the season. So, are we going to see these teams kind of make like a Celtics run like, like the Celtics did last year where they kind of sucked through the first 40 games and then went like, 32 and 8 in the last 40 games but um yeah what, what what do we think will happen with these two teams well i think it's cool um that both of them are doing so well and ironically it's because kind of both of them always have seemed to have with the as far as the east goes seem to have the most drama around it right obviously the nets had the whole Kyrie situation earlier in the season the sixers have had i mean joel Embiid has just been there the whole time being a beast and but you've had obviously you know the ben simmons thing and now he's on the nets and he's still not playing and that well actually he is playing but he's and he's actually He's just kind of, eh, but, um, right. The Sixers have the Ben Simmons thing and they trade him away. And then the James Harden thing. And okay. Is he actually good? Or is he just fat? I don't, you know, the jury's still out on that one, but realistically, well, and then this actually though, last week we hired James Harden and he just comes out and he's like, I don't want to be, or I want to be traded to another team, which is what he's done every single place he's gone in the last, however long, you know, it happened with the Rockets. It happened with the Nets. Now he's on the Sixers and, and here we go again, but then he comes out or, the, the media strongly reported that he wanted to be traded. And then he came out like a day later and he was like, yeah, I didn't say that. And it's like, okay, but really like, so that's kind of been the latest drama with the Sixers specifically. And, but he's still playing well. And I think that's kind of the, the, the overall point here is like the stars are playing well for each of these teams leading to a pretty long win streak for each of them. 
the Sixers are obviously it's it's Joel Embiid. They kind of ride or die uh, with him, and and he's always good. So the fact that he's still playing well and and kind of working off James Harden, Seth Curry, all the guys they have there too. Um, or I know Seth Curry plays for the plays for the plays for the Nets now because he was part of that Ben Simmons deal. Well, but Tyrese Maxey, right? Kind of a kind of an emerging star there for the Sixers as well. He's been kind of he's been balling out too. Uh, so so you have kind of a team coming together and Doc Rivers as, as the head coach who kind of is is bringing everything together obviously it's kind of the middle of the regular season as Hayden just said but the problem is like they don't have that much playoff success and the playoff success success that they do have really just kind of never ends up in even really going to the Eastern Conference Finals so we'll see if it can happen this year hopefully but I don't I don't think so (laughs) you know it's just one of those things where it's like okay they're on a good win streak now but it's like the drama and the internal parts of this team is going to cause it to implode Maybe not like, you know, spectacularly bunch of drama, people getting traded, people getting mad at each other, whatever, but just they get to the playoffs. Okay, great. They're in a playoff series where they have to come together for seven games and win a series against the same team. I think a team like the Bucks is definitely built to beat, you know, anyone like the Sixers. You know, a, a, team, a team like the Celtics is, is built to beat the Sixers. Like, I don't think they're going to have that much success, especially when it comes to the East and the playoffs, but it is good that they've been playing well so far. On the other side, obviously, we have the Nets, who the whole Kyrie thing happened about month and a half ago maybe two months ago now and what do we hear of it nothing right so it kind of just seemed to go away um and, and he and he's almost it's funny it's like it's almost he's playing like he was in cleveland when lebron came and and, and kind of was running that team right we have Kyrie, who's you know one of the most talented players in the entire nba who wants to have his own team but really plays his best when there's a star above him and he's just built to kind of do everything else right where you have to cover the star the you know obviously lebron in cleveland and then kd here with the nets and then Kyrie's just kind of doing his thing and he's so great at that and so he's been playing really well but the story here is kd like the guy is the best basketball player on the planet right now there's no hold barred but the problem is he doesn't get that much coverage because the nets don't get that much coverage because they're just kind of in brooklyn and nobody really cares right so if he played for the Knicks, if he played for the Lakers, if he was back with the Warriors, whatever it may be, he would be the talk of the town. Everybody would be saying how good he is. Just watching him, like if you get a chance, just just literally just YouTube one of the most recent games because he's going on. He's probably going to get the scoring scoring title. Uh, well, maybe Luca if he has anything to say about that after last night's performance. But he he's he's still this good, and he's actually kind of older at this point too. Um, but it's one of those things where he's able like he's able to anticipate how many defenders are going to come to him and he's like well let me just get my shot off earlier and still make it right so it's one of those things where he's just playing such a high level of basketball all of his teammates are succeeding around him because of that similar to lebron right and making the next succeed as a whole and so i think i mean just kind of you know projecting out futures wise i think the nets are probably going to fare better than the sixers are come playoff time i think the sixers are a better well more talented team they have a more talented roster but in terms of just you know how the team is composed and how the team is playing together. I like the Nets more than the Sixers right now, but obviously great that kind of both of them are, are experiencing some, some success. Now, the thing is too here, and this is kind of what I'll end on, is that they should be doing this, right? That's the thing is you have so many superstars on both of these teams, and as a result, in the GM, the front office, all the fans of these teams, right, are expecting these teams to be in the top five, six teams in the East here it seems like really nobody's going to catch the Celtics and the Bucks this season and kind of, you know, if the next and Sixers are able, the next and Sixers will probably be the two teams on that kind of, you know, one, one B list on the able to, you know, if they were, if someone was able to beat the, the Bucks or the Sixers or the Bucks or the Celtics, it'd be one of these teams. But 
as of right now, I don't see this ending in a championship for either of them. It's good that they have a win streak going and that they're kind of up there in the in the, in the playoff seedings now. But it's like we, this should be this should have been happening all along. I, I guess maybe you know now it's kind of they're they're able to get in, in in gear now. So we'll see what happens from here on out. But Hayden, what do you got? Yeah, I think you're I, I think you're pretty on track with uh, most of that analysis. I am going to go kind of into the schedules of both of these teams over these eight game stretches or eight game winning stretches. I guess I'm gonna count out the the Nets last win that 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 got them the nine wins in a row and I'm just going to compare the eight game stretches of wins that both teams had so over these eight game win streaks um, actually both teams beat the Pistons the Raptors and the Hornets both of them beat all three of those teams and all three of those teams are very very bad right now I think all those teams have like 12 wins or less right now so it's uh, they're, they're not doing too well so They've had, you know, those those three games in there that are kind of gimmies. And the other five games, I think both of them beat the Warriors, too, over the, over that stretch. And I want to say, I don't know. Uh, I have the schedules pulled up right now, but I'm not going to, like, sit here and try to compare them that much. But, right, I mean, I, they've had some pretty good wins over those. Uh, the 76ers beat the Lakers as well. Uh, the 76ers also beat the Knicks right before they lost. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they've beat some, like, pretty – so some teams that have potential of, of, of beating the Sixers, I could definitely see beating the Sixers, the Sixers. But, yeah, I mean, Joel Embiid is playing at an insane level right now. If you, like, Matt told Matt talked about watching Kevin Durant play. Watch Joel Embiid play, and it's crazy. I mean, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are kind of like the same player in a sense, and a lot of people compare them in, in many ways. But, like, I think that Joel Embiid in particular just has – crazy game like he can literally pull up from anywhere at any time and just swish it I, I I was watching a game the other night where he was playing and like he had I think two possessions in a row he was just playing on the perimeter and he's a seven footer and he's playing on the per- like how how do you have a seven foot one center who's playing on the perimeter and just waiting for a pass and then just gonna drain a, a three from the top of the key like that's it's it's, it's insane so Joel Embiid is playing at, a, at an incredible level um Kyrie and and Kevin Durant for the Nets. I think they've both averaged like 30 points both of them. Each of them have averaged 30 points over this 8-game stretch or 9-game stretch or whatever you want to call it. So, they have gone absolutely crazy. If they keep on, I mean, they're not going to sustain this 30-point average both of them for the rest of the season. I I don't think they would cuz that would just be absolutely nuts. And they probably went out from here, but if they did that, but yeah, I mean I think that that the a huge reason of why they've gone on this winning streak is because KD and Kyrie have kind of found this balance between them. Um you know, they're one night KD will have 37 and Kyrie will have 29 and then the next night KD will have 30 and Kyrie will have like 38. And it's like they, it's crazy. I mean, you when you have two guys they can just put up 30 points with ease on any given night. And both of them can do it at the same time. There's not one guy that's getting like 40 points and the other guy's getting 15. It's it's like a, you know, it's a collective effort between the two. And they're kind of equal and they can kind of switch off one guy scoring more than the other. And then the next guy scoring more than the than, than the first guy in the next game. Like it's it's crazy the, the way they can do it. So I think that the Nets, like Matt said, do have a better chance of kind of sustaining the success throughout the rest of the season. I'm not just saying that just because they're on a nine-game winning streak and the Sixers are now on a one-game losing streak. Um, I'm, I'm saying that because I firmly believe that if KD and Kyrie can keep up this, at least some of this scoring uh, potential that they have, have been showing recently, th- they're going to do really well. Again, 
like Matt said, is it going to be enough to be, you know, to kind of be a contender in the playoffs with the Bucks and the Celtics at the top of this this Eastern Conference? Maybe not, but we might see another Celtics Nets rematch in the, you know, in in the playoffs at some point this um this this playoffs round and so we can, you know, we can kind of relive that. Maybe the Celtics won't win, won't sweep them this year like they did last year in the play, in the playoffs. But yeah, I think that it's going to be a pretty good um it's going to be a pretty good pretty good season to watch for the rest of the season. Obviously, we'll be kind of, you know, talking about NBA here and there. More NBA as as the football season comes to a close, both college football and NFL. So um, yeah, be on the lookout for that. I'm I'm excited to kind of get more into it again. Been focused on football uh, recently, so second half of the regular season, I'm going to really try to delve into uh, to actually watching the games more and 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 keeping up with NBA that way. So yes, okay. And with that being said, I kind of just discussed a little bit with Matt on the last topic. We're going to save the ES- ESPN notification nonsense to next episode. We have a little archive that we that we keep on our dock here. So don't worry the 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 ESPN notifications that we were going to go over today are going to make it on the next next episode. They're not going to go away. So um, yes, be on the lookout for that for next episode. Again, sorry they we couldn't do it on this episode. I know I told those of you to who haven't listened to it yet to listen to it at the end of this episode, but it's not going to be here because we're kind of going over on time already. We're already at an hour, so we're gonna we're gonna call it quits here for the night, and I'm gonna get this epi- episode uh, uh, edited and uploaded. So. Yes, with that being said, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, sorry it was kind of a long time in between last episode and this one, but the holidays are a crazy time, and it's it's just, it is what it is. So you guys probably won't, you guys definitely won't hear again from us until after New Year's, probably sometime midweek next week. So um, about a week from now is, is when you, you should hear from us next. So expect an episode then. And yeah, hope you guys have a great rest of the week. Hope you guys have a great New Year's weekend and we will catch you guys on the next one.